Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. So notice Jesus is in the marketplace and he says to us something interesting. He said, these people need to be touched. We need to be around them, but they need to be hearing the gospel. So he preached to them. I want you to write this statement down because it's no different today. Jesus said to his disciples, there's a big problem. There's too many people that need to hear and too few people sharing. You ever think about guys like Billy Graham or Greg Laurie? It's pretty amazing what they do with God's help. Being able to present the gospel in a clear, concise way is truly a gift. The fact of the matter, though, is that most people who come to Christ do so because they were spoken to one-on-one by a friend. Pastor Mark will be teaching about your need to be willing to learn how to tell someone else how they can get saved. You'll learn what you need to know and how to learn it, and then how to share it with someone else you'll be reminded that this is something Jesus told all his disciples to do. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, as he begins his message, Spiritual Fruit Equals Generous. John chapter 8. What comes to your mind when you hear this word generous? Well, for some of you, you're into eating. And you like to go to a restaurant that has generous portions. In the old days, that's 10, 15, 20 years ago, many of us worked for companies and we would say this about the company. They have generous benefits. Remember, I said the old days. That's kind of changed. How many can say amen to that? But we still hear this one today. He or she is a generous person. And we have a church filled with generous people. But amazingly, if you step outside the doors of our campuses you would rarely ever hear these two words together, generous and God, because the world doesn't believe that. But the Bible says it like this in James 1.17, take a look, every good and perfect gift is from above. So God is our generous giver. He loves to give, and you'll see later, he's a hilarious giver. He's a cheerful giver to you and I. Not because he has to, because that's the character of our God. We're going to talk about some of the fruit of the Spirit, the five kinds of fruit, and we're going to talk in our lives 
how I and you can be generous in all of the areas you just were a moment ago, Jen, with, with praise. So we're going to talk about how we can make sure that that's happening in our life. God gave us initially life. Let's take a breath this morning. You ready? Here we go. Where'd it come from? When you're done, what happens? It's over. Right from the beginning, God was a generous God. But it wasn't enough. He sent Jesus. The only way that sinful man could be restored to God was through Jesus. Jesus came. He died for us. The greatest gift we can ever experience. But then when Jesus went back to heaven, he said to his disciples, the world needs to know about our generous God. They don't know. Here's what you're to do. Go into all the world and make disciples. And as you do that, the world will see the generosity of God and join him, give themselves to God. Well, we've been learning that that whole process of disciple making has some characteristics, some things that we can see. In John chapter 15, verse 8, if you'll turn there, John 15, verse 8, when you look there, you're going to see one of these characteristics, John 15, verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing, or as I've said, proving yourselves to be my disciples. So we learn that a disciple is not only in the word, sticky in the word, but a disciple is fruitful. Here's a picture of what that looks like. In this spiritual garden, God is the gardener, and Jesus is the vine, and Christians, this only applies to Christians, we're the branches. And because we're connected to God because of salvation and Jesus, right there that little branch abides in the vine, is sticky. Through our personal relationship with God, day-by-day intimate relationship with God, what happens is simply this. There's fruit that comes. Now, we don't produce it. We just bear it. And it comes because of the Holy Spirit is in that relationship between the branches and the vine. Let me remind you of the five kind of fruit that you should be showing in your life. Take a look and you'll see what that looks like. Here it is. If you're a Christian, these should be eventually evident in your life. And we'll see in a moment, there's increasing amounts of these that God wants. First thing is bull witness. If you're a follower of Christ, a disciple, you're going to be a witness. You're going to be sharing your testimony. Next, good works. Ephesians 2 says that God created us to do good works with our gifts and our talents and, of course, our time. Authentic praise. We just did that. It was great. The fruit of our lips. We're not gripey, complaining people. We just love God because he's generous. Then generous given, which we're going to talk about, and bold witness we're going to talk about. And here's the big one, godly character. That's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. All of those should be evident in our life. So take a look at that, and we're going to talk today about two of those and how that really happens. But it's not just, are they there in my life? Can I see them and can others see them? This is what 
the scripture goes on to say. Let me read it to you. The scripture basically goes on to say this, that you and I will bear much fruit. So there is this increasing ability to bear fruit in your life. So if you've been a Christian a long time, definitely you shouldn't be at no fruit. And really, you shouldn't even be at fruit. It should just be getting to increase. No fruit, Jesus says in John 15. There'll be fruit seen in your life. Then there'll be more fruit. And then there'll be much fruit. You and I are growing. We're maturing. It never ends. But this fruit should be cascading in our lives. Now, remember, we don't mm, to produce it. It comes from that relationship of intimacy with God. Now, I want you to look at that for a moment because we're going to talk about two kinds of fruit. One, bull witness, and two, generous giving. And I'm going to ask you, because you're the only person that can do it, to rate yourself. How are you doing? You say, Pastor Mark, I'm not interested in that. No, this is to my Father's glory. This makes God look good that you produce, you bear much fruit. So God isn't interested in Christians who have been Christians 30 years and they have a little teeny bit of fruit to show for it. Not at all. He wants you to be more and more fruitful because that's the growth that comes. That's what happens with the power of God. Now, I'm going to unpack two of these areas. Here's the first one you can write down. Write it down. Fruit, and we're talking about bold witness. What's that mean, Pastor Mark? It's the winning of souls. Now, we don't do that, but we share the gospel. We share our testimony. We share the good news, and people become converts. As you and I abide in Jesus Christ, we become conformed to him, his character. We begin to think like him, his mind. We begin to minister like Jesus, his works. The ministry of Jesus always started, listen, the ministry of Jesus always was focused around evangelism, a lost world. Now look at Mark chapter 16, 15. He said to them, go into where? Tell me. All the world. All, that's why we have missionaries. All the world. But does the world include Vieira and West Melbourne? Yes, it does. So we're to go. Watch this. You'll see this in a moment. Our feet have to be where the lost are. We have to go and preach the good news to all creation. Now, one of the things that you need to understand is when you and I begin to talk to people outside of the church, we kind of need to know how they think. 20 years ago, what I'm getting ready to show you was not true. But it's very different today. You know, when I go overseas, I have to know the country I'm at, who I'm teaching, as far as the lost. Where are they? What is their background? It's the same here. And so here's something that came in the USA today, but I want you to see this. We're going to dissect this for a few moments. It's important for you and I to understand what are these people outside of our churches thinking? If you take a look at the people in the United States, this is only the United States, they would identify with this. 48% are Protestants. 22% are Catholic, 2% Mormon, 1% Orthodox, other faiths too many to list. 
don't know 1%, and here's the big one we're going to talk about, nuns, not Catholic nuns, nuns, 20%. This does not mean that these people that identify themselves as Protestant or Catholics are born-again Christians. It doesn't mean that at all. By the way, you and I know that the majority, sorry to say, of Catholics and Protestants who go to church are not born again. Would you agree with that? Yeah, they're very religious, but they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't even know what that means. So this is not about people that are born again. This is who they would classify. They just had a list. What do you classify yourself? Well, I'm a Protestant or I'm a Catholic, or I'm a Mormon. So don't be confused. That isn't saying all of these people are born again. Of course, there's many people in the Catholic Church and many people in the Protestant Church that are born again. By the way, you're Protestant. Anybody here born again on our campuses? Raise your hand. Sure you are. Now, what's the significance of this study? Well, the significance of the study is down on the bottom. Nuns. First time ever one-fifth of the United States categorize themselves as this. We're nothing. Doesn't mean they're atheists or agnostic. We just don't relate to any religion. We really have no interest. They might call themselves, well, we, have, we like spirituality, but we're not into religion. So 20% of the people we're going to talk to are saying basically, I'm not really interested in what you have to offer. Now, does that impact us as we're trying to present the gospel? Hello? Yeah, this figure used to be around 10 and 9 and 7%. Doubled. So what's happening to our world? Satan is what? Blinding more and more people's eyes to the truth of the gospel. So here's what we're going to say when we see this. Well, Pastor Mark, this is impossible then. We can't be bold with our faith. These people don't believe. Every fifth person doesn't even interest it. Well, let's just go back 2,000 years ago. Ready? Jesus was here. Paul was here. What did their world look like in those days? Well, for Jesus' time, in Jerusalem, in Israel, what was the big religion? Hello? This is not a difficult question. What was the big religion? Judaism. Judaism. They were Jews. How was the success of the Judaism going on in that time? It was terrible. It was a dead end. People didn't, they called themselves Jews, just secular. They weren't interested in anything because it was a total dead end. All right. The other majority people in Israel during the early church, what were they? They were Romans. What were Romans? Believed in lots of gods. They were pagan. They worshipped idols. They worshipped Zeus. They worshipped all kinds of things. By the way, let me just say this to you. I believe that the people in Jesus' time were worse off than the people in our time. But what happened with the 120 people in the early church? 120 people outside was dead Judaism and all pagans. Within 30 years, they turned their world upside down. Well, how'd they do that? By sharing their faith with the power of God. See, sometimes we're going to go like this. Well, I'm not going to plant seed anymore. It's, it's useless. I'm just not going to plant it. No, that's not right. That is the wrong attitude. We need to know how people are thinking because that can help us a lot understand how to do it. But we have to keep 
being bold and sharing the gospel. Now, turn to Matthew chapter 9. Let's look at the heart of Jesus. Now, remember, if you're a Christ follower, we're going to learn to minister like Jesus. What did Jesus say when he came? I came to seek and save that which is lost. Doesn't matter what category they're in. They were simply lost. Now, get down to verse 35. And Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues. So he's right out in the middle of whatever, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Now, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He didn't look at the crowds and go, this is useless. There's no use me even saying anything. No, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, notice first, where was Jesus? Where the lost were. He was in the marketplace of life. Now, why would Jesus say, when he looked out at the dead religion here and the pagans, why would he say they're ready, they're ripe for conversion? Why would he say that? They wouldn't agree with that. Here's why. Because God has put in the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl a knowledge that there is a God. And they can't do life without God. We know that from the book of Genesis. And we know it from the book of Romans where Paul says, by nature, as man looks up to the sky, and from inside his own conscience, he knows there is a God. But as you go on in Romans chapter 1, the Bible says that they have turned that truth away. They blinded their eyes to the truth and substituted themselves as gods. But see, that doesn't eliminate. They know down inside there's a God. Recently in one of our services, a person came who said, I've never believed in God. But somehow in this service, Somebody spoke to me. Hello. Who was that? It was God. That individual became a Christian that night. You see, you would say that's impossible. No, it's not impossible. She knew it all the time, but had been blinded to it. So notice, Jesus is in the marketplace, and he says to us something interesting. He said, these people need to be touched. We need to be around them, but they need to be hearing the gospel. So he preached to them. I want you to write this statement down because it's no different today. Jesus said to his disciples, there's a big problem. There's too many people that need to hear and too few people sharing. So here's what you want to write. Lack of fruit. There's a lack of fruit in Jesus' day. It's the same here 2,000 years later. Not enough Christ followers sharing the good news, making God known. Now, understand that same problem, we see it so clearly. Let me explain this to you. It's not that there's not enough Christ followers. It's that the majority of Christ followers never share the gospel. So it's not because there's not enough Christ followers. Let me give you the latest statistic. A recent study found 80% of those who attend church only once a month 
So this isn't even guys like you that come two, three, four times a month. 80% of those who attend church once a month believe they have a responsibility to share their faith. 80% of them know that they have a responsibility. And they ask him, do you feel they have a responsibility? Yes, 80%. Eight out of 10 said, I absolutely have a responsibility. And then they ask him, in the last six months, how many of you have shared and have not shared? 61% of those 80% had not shared anything with anyone the last six months. Do you understand what I just said to you? 80% of you today go, well, I know we should share. Well, have you shared? 60% of you have not shared one time, one word, one ounce of truth with the unbelievers. Is that exactly what Jesus just said to us? Yes. The fields are white, but there's not people sharing. So I'm going to ask you to do something. Here's what I want you to write. It's a funny statement in a way. It's kind of a play on words. The majority of disciples in our churches today are nuns. They rarely share their faith. They have all these beliefs, but they don't ever follow through with it. There's nothing really happening. And because of that, people are waiting to hear the good news. We have it available, but it's not being shared. Why don't we share? Number one, is it because we would say we have no time? One individual said, I have no time, and I really don't care. This is a Christian in our church. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? I don't care. Number two, is it because of fear? Man, I don't know what those 20%, those nuns that don't believe me, how in the world can, what am I going to say to them? Or number three, is it because you don't know how to share the faith? You don't know what steps to take. Is there anything the leadership, the pastors could do to help you be more well, intentional in sharing your faith. Now, let me ask you a question, and you can just uh, raise your hand quickly. How many of you feel that the majority of the problem in the church of not sharing is because people really don't have time? Let me, let me see your hands. They, they just don't have time. See, you, there's like one person. You know better than answer that right now, because I'll come get you right away. <laughs> because we're supposed to be generous with our what? Our time. How many feel it's because of fear of what kind of questions would be asked by the other people? Let me see your hands. Okay, good. And how many think it's because you really aren't comfortable knowing how to, to share your faith? Let me see. Okay, good. That gives me a little idea. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10, if you will. Romans chapter 10. By the way, you're getting to enjoy this, aren't you? Say amen. Anybody meet somebody nice this morning? Good. If it was your wife in that circle, say amen. I definitely did. I definitely did. Okay. Romans. Romans. Paul tells us this amazing kind of, well, it's a, a cascade of things. Verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What an amazing promise. Thanks for joining Pastor Mark today on Lessons for Living. If you'd like to hear more from this study, you can find additional teachings online now at calvaryccm.com. We know that this time in our world is uncertain, but one truth remains steadfast. God is in control. During this season, we encourage you to spend time in the Word, in prayer, and in the presence of your Creator. 
As with many churches across our nation, Pastor Mark and the Calvary Chapel Melbourne community are holding church online. The church isn't the building, it's the people who despite whatever obstacles are in their way, they still worship Jesus and praise his name. We'd love for you to join us. Visit calvaryccm.com live or join us over on Facebook, YouTube, or Roku. We'll be having services on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. We look forward to worshiping with you in this way until we can be gathered together as the body once again. We also know how essential prayer is during this time, and we want you to know we're constantly lifting our listeners up to the Lord. Is there anything specific we can be praying about for you? Let us know by visiting our contact page at calvaryccm.com. And would you do the same for us? Please keep Pastor Mark and our church staff in your prayers, along with our nation's leaders and those affected by this virus. Thank you for praying. If you feel led to support Lessons for Living financially during this time, we would be very grateful. You can donate online at calvaryccm.com. That's all for today. Join us again for another edition of Lessons for Living. in a hurry.